Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Dave Lane. Dave Lane wears several hats. He is development partner at the marketing firm DC Design House, managing a team of web developers, designers, and social media experts. He is a counselor at large for the city of St. John's, chairing and sitting on several committees. He's an entrepreneur building an online business. He's a musician, singing with quintessential and Inishmara vocal ensembles, and he is a fiance, washing dishes and driving his better half to and from work. Dave, I'm glad we could take you away from the dishes and uh, bring you into the show. <laughs> It's great to be here. Thanks. Dave. Yeah, thanks for coming in. I knew when we were doing this uh, program, you know, we were going to be talking about heritage. That you were definitely one of the people that I wanted to to have uh, have come in and talk about kind of community and how we get communities engaged, you know, in kind of the, the living of the community and how we keep kind of heritage uh, at the forefront. Uh, how did you get interested in kind of heritage and community development? Well, actually, uh, something of a mentor of mine is actually one of the heritage uh, all-stars of our city, which is Shani Duff. Yes, yeah. Um, and you, you noted in my bio that I'm, I'm working at a marketing firm and social media is a part of that. And uh, she asked me if I could help her with her social media and web presence during the 2009 election. Um, so, you know, doing all that really means speaking for someone uh, in a different space. And in doing so, I got to know a lot about Shani and what she stands for. Uh, and heritage is obviously a huge part of that. Yeah. So uh, you know, it was a great campaign. It was it was excellent to be part of that. I met a lot of people that were in the heritage, I'll call movement, so to speak, or space anyway. And uh, when the election was over, um, something uh, an issue arose, and that was that uh, a big corporation, a Newfoundland corporation, wanted to put a 15-story building on Water Street, mm-hmm. the oldest street in North America, and. Uh, what happened was a lot of people gathered together because this was very concerning because they were going to tear down buildings that were very old. They had, you know, a history to them. Uh, and also just the, the character of the place would be impacted by such a huge building as has been done before. Yeah. Um, and what happened during that, uh, we had a public meeting that I helped to uh, organize with this group of people. And my role there was to build the website. And I took a website that had been built for another discussion that had happened previously uh, before the election on, on unrelated to politics, which was uh, urban sprawl and uh, or smart growth. Yeah. And what are we going to do about that? Um, so that website was called happycity.ca. Now, while, while this public meeting was being uh, put together, there was also a, a very uh, robust discussion going on online on Facebook. And a Facebook group had been uh, pulled together to say, let's prevent this building from from being built. Um, I quickly joined the conversation, and the person who had set up the group initially asked me if I wanted to be a moderator of the discussion, uh, and so I did so. And it got a lot of attention because uh, like 1,300 people joined the group. And back in the day, I mean, it's still a big number for a Facebook group, but that was huge back then. This was like 2010. Um, And so it got media attention and things like that. And anyway, the attention that this issue... uh, Received and the public outcry against the against the development forced or you know encouraged the company to withdraw their proposal. And mm-hmm. in fact, what's happened is they've uh, they've since built a beautiful structure in a, in a more appropriate part of the downtown. But once that battle, so to speak, had been won, uh, you know, a few of us sat down and said, you know, what what came out of this really? You know, uh, we we just have like two sides. I'm either anti uh, development or I'm anti heritage, and and we're just fighting. Uh, but we knew that the discussion was much more rich than that, and uh, there was really a huge, what I'll call a gray area, where we were having a discussion about, you know, what is appropriate for a well-built city, 
so many people would say, I'm not anti-development, but, you know, I want to preserve a character. So what we did is we said, well, let's keep the conversation going. And we took the the happycity.ca website um, that uh, I think it was Peg Norman and uh, Teresa McKenzie and another woman, I can't remember her name, uh, had set up talking about, let's talk about our future. And we said, let's take that to Facebook. And we, we created an organization called Happy City. And the the mandate of the, our organization is to create a venue for people to have constructive dialogue around municipal issues. And there was a real hunger for that. And finally, we I think we had a true venue that we could take all the ideas and the experience and the knowledge that people had and do something with it. So we had a different form of public meeting. Uh, yes, it was online, but we also went into public space, and we had uh, a trained facilitator join us very early on. His name is Bua Peterson, and uh, he helped to facilitate some some dialogue sessions, which were not your traditional public meeting. The traditional public meeting is you've got row seats. I'm very antagonistic. And Absolutely. Yeah, well, you're looking yeah. at the experts, the decision makers, and we're going to tell you what we're going to do, and you get yeah. your two minutes at the microphone, and if you go longer, we'll cut you off. And by the time your opportunity to speak comes, uh, you're really enraged. <laughs> so it just becomes like you say. I've been at those meetings, yeah. Yes, indeed. And they still go on. Yes, yeah. Um, but what we said is, uh, you know, or Bua said, there's a new way of doing this. It's not really new, but it's not. It's being done more and more, which is to have a room, take the same people, and put them into groups uh, around tables. And so you're, you're basically making it easier for people to have an ongoing discussion, maybe eight to ten people even but not a room where you go up to a mic and you get your turn. But at the end of that session, you can take away a lot of the notes. If there is someone who really just likes to kick up dust, uh, they're isolated to one table, and then you can switch every 15 minutes if you want. So anyway, what we've what, what Happy City did was we said, let's try this a new way. And uh, I started going to council meetings because uh, to attend them from the, the gallery because I knew that through the venue of Facebook, we could inform people about how decisions are being made because that's also a huge part of the problem is that we might hear about a development at the end at the last minute and like how could you possibly have made this decision but actually there was a bunch of steps that were taken mm-hmm. uh, and in doing so uh, to to end this long <laughs> answer to your question um i felt that this was something i could do i could run for council and sit around that table and bring that new way of doing things uh, to city hall and it had already started by the time I got there, uh, and it's really taken off now. We actually have an engagement framework, and I think it applies very well to uh, to heritage. Yeah, I think so often, you know, when when there is kind of a battle that that happens around uh, heritage, particularly about you know preserving an old building or a streetscape, it, it is quite often framed as. Um, those who are for development and those who are somehow against development right. you know, that it's you're either you're either pro development and anti heritage or you're you're pro heritage and anti development mm-hmm. um and i think that happens sometimes because it's it's the easy story for media yeah. to sell and Absolutely. and media and media loves a controversy you know mm-hmm. so they will they it's easy and good for them to break things down into this kind of dichotomy you know um but it is a lot more complicated than that and and i really think that you know, framing the discussion as, you know, like the happy city. I even think that's like a brilliant name for mm-hmm. the organization because it kind of removes you from that dichotomy immediately. You know, we're not talking about, you know, good versus bad. We're just, we just want to have a happy, better city. Right. Know? And it's about smart development. Like Absolutely. Were, like you were saying. You know, it's interesting. You were talking about uh, Shani Duff and how she was kind of a role model for you. And then talking about that battle over that streetscape on, on Water Street. 
And and I know that people like Shani Duff and Shane O'Day, they got involved uh, in the 60s and in early 70s over, in some ways, many of the same battles. Yeah. You know, like we're, at that time, it was Atlantic Place. We're going to demolish a bunch of buildings. Uh, we're going to build a Scotia Tower. We're going to build Atlantic Place. There's this historic streetscape that's going to be demolished. And so that led to things like the Newfoundland Historic Trust and the city having heritage bylaws. Are we fighting the same battles that we were fighting 40, 40 years ago? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and why is that? Um, I, th- I think part of the reason, the, the battle that I'm trying to fight now is, is to have uh, a better municipal plan, right. um, a shared vision. Uh, and that's essentially what they were fighting for, but they were fighting from a much earlier stage and a very different environment. Uh, you know, the economy has improved so much in St. John's, at least, and certainly, you know, many parts of the province, that I have the luxury of saying, well, you know, we've got a million dollars over here. Maybe we should invest it this way. Or, you know, we, we're not all fighting over the same pots of money. Um, whereas at the time, in the 60s, certainly, you had this real, uh, you know, uh, hunger for development. That any development sort of was stim- good. Exactly. We yeah. needed to stimulate our economy, and that was the way of the time. Um, you know, things have really changed now. In fact, more and more, the way that the world has changed, you know, with, with global connectivity and also just our ability to now work from anywhere, um, I mean, economies are moving more and more towards uh, quality of life. And what does quality quality of life mean? It means amenities. It means having a beautiful place to live. It means, you know, a way to interact with other people. So we're fighting the same battle, but it's in a very different context. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also they've laid a, a very strong foundation upon which to – and you know what? I'll, I'll even hesitate to say battle at this point. I think now it's like, okay, we've we, we realized that there's a new way of doing things, that we really have to solve this problem. Now it's a matter of how do we solve it once and for all? Now, I don't think you're ever going to solve it once and for all. I mean, even when you look to Europe, and we always say, oh, you know, Europe figured it out, you know, how to preserve their heritage. They have major battles, you know, and it's just that I think, you know, they've had a lot more time to work on it and more densely populated regions and things like that. But for for the times that how they have changed, I I think that they've done so much, uh, Shane and Shani and their whole cohort, um, to instill a culture of appreciation for built heritage and, mm-hmm. and heritage right across the board. So uh, here's what we're working on now. Uh, basically, I mentioned the municipal plan, and the municipal plan is is basically how do you use land in your city? Uh, heritage falls in there uh, because it has to do with, you know, what do you protect and how do you protect it? So what our heritage advisory committee is working on now at the city of St. John's is how do we incentivize or support uh people, organizations who want to uh, preserve, restore, reuse, uh, built heritage. Uh, and that is really where I think the conversation is today. We have a, we have staff right now working on what are potential financial incentives. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working with a developer right now to find a way to, you know, really apply our heritage rules uh, more stringently. Uh, and that's another debate as well, because the thing is, if you say, well, we have regulations that say if you have something of historic value, um, you have to you know, put some energy into preserving that or restoring it. But at what cost? And who wants to pay the cost? Does our, does our society want to pay for built heritage? Who makes that call? Yeah. And, and I think that's really getting to the root of why it's always going to be a problem. Because it's a value. Uh, some people inherently see the value. Uh, of of built heritage, some people can can recognize it after you know experiencing something, and others will benefit from it and not even know. 
and then there's those who just end of the day, you know, here's is of no, no value to me. Uh, I just I don't think it's of any value to anyone. So do taxpayer dollars go there? Here's what I say about taxpayer dollars, and it's just a joke. If someone says I don't want my money going to the arts. Uh, I don't want my tax dollars going going to this. I say, well, okay, well, I'll put my tax dollars towards the arts, and you can put your tax dollars towards potholes, right? But it, it's all going in the same it all pot. Goes to the same pot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, the the cultural landscape has kind of ch- the, the 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 culture around heritage conservation has changed over the years. I, I remember talking to uh, one of the city planners, and who's been there a long time, and he was saying how uh, years ago. Um, they had when they were coming up with the kind of the heritage uh, areas uh, guidelines for the city. The people were really upset that they they suddenly found themselves in a heritage right. area. And then more recently, when they expanded the heritage areas, people were actually coming and saying, "Why am I not in mm-hmm. a heritage area?" So there's been a there's been a bit of a flip among some of the people yeah. in downtown. I think there's, you know, in the in the 70s and 80s, downtown was a, a bit of a, a slum, and there were these revitalization projects with the St. John's Heritage Foundation, and then the the, the Heritage Foundation, of Newfoundland and Labrador, grew out of that, and the Newfoundland Historic Trust was doing all kinds of work at that period. So it is a different it is a different place. Right. Uh, things have changed. We do I do feel sometimes we're fighting the same or similar battles. There's yeah. always going to be there's always going to be development. Do, what uh, where do you think heritage fits in this idea of a happier, healthy city? Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you, even just the point you made about people are saying, well, how come I can't be in the heritage area? Um, what a heritage set of bylaws does, you know, heritage guidelines. Um, it encourages you uh, as a neighbor to keep up your property, essentially. And here's here's the way in which you will do it. I mean, there's other rules for different areas of town, uh, but heritage are the most obvious ones and most stringent. Um, but in doing so, you end up getting a neighborhood that really has character to it, and it's it's something you walk into. And if someone doesn't follow the same rules, you know, it's just like if you're living in the suburbs and, and someone one person doesn't mow their lawn. And it overgrows. I mean, you know, you hate that neighbor. <laughs> it, it, it becomes the same thing. You know, everyone is then at this point over the 40 years, 50 years that we've had to de- use the regulations for, for design. Uh, we now have the majority of people have since moved into that place knowing what they're getting into. And, and when someone doesn't follow it, then they're frustrated. Or if they want, they can't move in there, but they're so close to it. They say, well, how come I can't have those rules, too? Because I want my community to to have a, a certain character that's, you know, sustained. Uh, in terms of a happy city, I think heritage also helps to identify yourself with with your place, and that's huge. It's it's very intangible. But St. John's is so lucky. Newfoundland as as a whole is so lucky. Uh, but speaking from St. John's, we have we have the row houses. Uh, we had them. Now they're colorful, thanks to Shani. Um, and now we can advertise that. And then when someone sees that, they go, "Oh, St. John's. I know that." And that reminds me when I was on George Street or when I went to Signal Hill. Mm-hmm. So you can identify with your place, and when you do that. Uh, you want to contribute more. You want you want to bring your family here. You you want to uh, be productive, and it improves the economy in that way. People are are when they're happier, they're more productive. It's you know it's been proven again and again. So if you can have a place that you say this is special, I can tell you why it's special because there's very clear even visual reasons to to say so. Uh, that just makes things better across the board, and it, it raises your GDP. Proven. Mm. Uh, over the past few years, we've we've lost some significant buildings uh, mm-hmm. in the city. You know, in in two thousand and fifteen, we lost uh, Kinnipack, uh, right. Winter, Winter Avenue, and you know there are other buildings that have disappeared. The Star of the Sea Hall, which was I thought a fabulous building in our downtown core, quite quite a large building. Um, when people see these buildings um, disappear, especially with the the Kinnipack uh, example, uh, people were incredibly upset. 
right. and very, very outspoken and very passionate on, on both sides uh, of the argument. What is the role of the city in those types of situations where, where a major building or building of obvious historical or architectural importance is under threat? Uh, That's a million-dollar question. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean... You know, it's it's such a blurry answer, uh, and that's that's the biggest problem, really, is that we haven't defined what the city's role is. Um, but I'll, I'll I'll take a stab at it, and certainly say where I'd like to see it go. Right now, we do have a set of regulations and bylaws that people have to follow. Um, in terms of the Kinnipiac, they technically followed the rules. Right. Um, what had happened with that story is that uh, the owner wanted to sell it, and the only buyers were, needed some assurance that they could tear it down. And uh, that's what raised the flag for the Heritage Advisory Committee. Uh, and we, you know, we said we, we recommend that this be protected, which we have the ability to do, which would be another aspect of the role the city has. Uh, but council voted against that because we felt we'd be interfering with a sale in, yeah. in, in process. So we, we voted that down, and, and then time passed. It sold, and then the demolition permit was granted, and it was torn down immediately. And and it was caught on film, you I, know? and I think that's what <laughs> enraged people so much. Absolutely. It came down so fast, and and this, uh, you know, from a media perspective, this amazing footage of you know this uh, oh front end loader demolishing this beautiful building. Yeah, you know? and you know what I mean? It, it's good that we had that in a way uh, because we need to see what what it feels like to see something destroyed, yeah, a thing of beauty uh, and of of value. The the challenge we have though is that there are things called property rights yeah you know and and the owners technically have rights to do whatever they please to a point right so in this case we could have protected it but we have to be careful i think in how often we uh, designate buildings to protect them from demolition now at the end of the day council can approve a demolition um if if they have to otherwise staff can generally just go through the, the process um what we're talking about now around the committee table is you know how do we determine which properties we want to protect? Right now, you know, you know, all the buildings that we might want to protect are there. You know, we, we can go around today and identify all the, the old buildings, we'll say, pick through them and say which ones are of value. And then we can say, okay, which ones now do we want to approach the owners and say, can we designate this of, of heritage designation so that it's protected? Um, and that is, I think, the right approach. If you know, go to the owner and say, "Would you like this?" Um, because what happens in other cases is that at the last minute we say, "Oh, wait a second, we don't want this torn down." Yeah, it's designated heritage. You can't do yeah, what you yeah. thought you were going to do. You've probably been planning it for five years. Um, but on the other side, our, our regulations actually stipulate that the intent of the heritage designation bylaw is to ensure we have an appropriate collection of properties. Yeah. And if you dig a tiny bit more into that term, a collection, well, you know. Do we get to a certain point where we have enough Victoria-era properties protected? And it's time now to exert our energy in different types of properties. So that's another difficult discussion I think we should have so that we can have that inventory of properties that we've said, here's where we're going to put our energy into. And because we now know that, we can also then move to the next step, which is to say, how do we finance the protection of this? Yeah, It might simply be by saying, we'll give you a tax break if you if you preserve this, um, or we'll give you a, a, a grant. You, or it might be just that 
we're, it's going to increase your property value, and you know, as a, as a as a year welcome, we'll give you a designation. Yeah. So and, it's a challenge, and and I think there are certainly you know other places that have uh, you know we talk about having a stick and a carrot, you know, and, and there are certain right. other jurisdictions <laughs> that have have carrots, you know, where they have grants or they have tax relief programs, mm-hmm. and the city of St. John's has had in the past. Um, a tax rebate for commercial commercial heritage properties. Yeah, right. um, I, I know the city of Charlottetown has you know programs like that. You know the city of uh, I think Vancouver, Victoria, they had a, a, a heritage paint program where they they would uh, select buildings that fit a certain style or, or whatnot, and they had a sponsorship from a local paint company where you could actually get a small grant and uh, you know a coupon for however many cans of paint you know to, cool. to fix up old buildings. Um, so I think I think there are kind of creative opportunities for for the city to do more that don't necessarily cost the city money. Like that person who's outraged, I want more money for potholes in hockey, you know, right, right. And, and I don't I don't believe in heritage, you know. Yeah. Um, I think there's probably a way that we can we can do some of this without digging too deeply into the the city's. I agree, and I I think a, a place that I would like to explore is the idea of the city being a broker. And what I mean by that is if you, if there's a property in the city that's either not being used, underused, or it needs to be restored. We would go out and say, okay, what should this be used for? Okay, there's five options. Let's go around and advertise the fact that this is an opportunity for a company to come in, and we will help you walk through the process of setting up your shop here. Um, and I think that's probably the best of both worlds because the city is expending resources to you know, restore a building, but they're doing so by helping a private company or a public company set up shop there. And it's happened before. We actually took over a building. It's called the Gentera Building, which is now our information yep. services. And it, we have offices there for the city. So I I like that the most, although I think it's the most labor-intensive or, you know, cognitively intensive process. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's kind of what we need sometimes. We The the, the best solutions aren't necessarily the easy, right. easy solutions. You know, and we <laughs> Unfortunately. Need, and we need this conversation. And I think... You know, we need to get beyond that public meeting yelling at the poor commissioner. You know, like we yeah. we need to have more dialogue at the community level. So, so I asked you what the role of the city is, mm-hmm. and maybe to flip that, what is the what is the role of the citizen then in this process? Right. Um, well, I'll, I'll take a tiny bit back to the city simply to say that what we're doing now um, is we're trying to front load the effort for application process for development, and what we're uh, we're about to hire a heritage planner. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, that's a big role that we've never had at the city. And I think it's going to be very important to make sure there's someone who's an expert in this, who's a part of the discussion up front when someone says, I want to build something. What can I do? And they say, oh, well, you know, this would help in the context of the area you want to build in. Um, in terms of what the citizen can do, uh, certainly advocate, uh, you know, continue to to speak positively about the value of, of built heritage and tangible cultural heritage. Um, and, and really celebrate it as part of the community. Because I think ultimately, at the end of the day, if council is going to vote a certain way, they are truly swayed by the public. Sometimes they're swayed because, you know, there's a real uproar. And they're like, okay, I don't want to touch this. And all right, all right, I don't want you to, you know, knock me out. But there's also, we're, we're, we're human beings, we're part of a society as well. And so our beliefs are shaped by the people around us. Mm. So if we're constantly celebrating something, uh, and, and speaking of it in a positive light, I think that it will eventually, over the long run, shape the way we make decisions. And frankly, it has done. We might not feel fully satisfied about how we protect heritage uh, in the city of St. John's, but we do do so much. And uh, 
I, th- I think we need to recognize that we do have a, a city and a council that does celebrate heritage in its in its own way, and it's probably much better than other municipalities. Yeah, and the city has gotten a bit better at, at promoting some of its successes. I think as well, you know, like mm-hmm. as point. part of Heritage Day, you know, there are now there's a the, the, for the past several years there's been presentations to people who've done good work uh, right. in heritage yes. in, yeah. in the community, and, and there are you know so we, we we see we see the council and we think oh you know there's so X number of people on this council and and a certain percentage of them are anti heritage, right. but then things that happen like like the band shell in <laughs> in Bannerman Park, <laughs> oh, you know, which which uh, astonishingly yeah. captured the imagination of some councillors who we might not think of being pro-heritage. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're like, yeah, this matters to me. This right. is a piece of our heritage that needs to be preserved. And so something that originally had been scheduled to be torn down is now part of a of a plan and you know and it's a lovely thing to have kept we have two band shells <laughs> i know yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> the more the merrier the more the merrier but it is it is interesting that you know people do even people who are maybe pro development they still have a sense of what the city means to them and mm-hmm. and their own personal history with the city right and i think that's a, a good thing to to foster you know like it is uh, the what we really need to do I, I agree we need to foster it and and the the concern, of course, is when developers. We're going through a period, I guess, uh, in the Western world where you have huge economies. They're starting to invest in other economies to save their money. To and they're, they're building big buildings. New York is a prime example. A, a huge number of buildings are now owned by foreign investors, mm-hmm. and they don't care about the ambiance of the area. They just, you know, is it making money or not? Um, and so, I think we need to be. I'm not going to say that. I'm not saying that's going to happen here. Um, but there are external owners, and if we don't have a very clear vision and a clear culture, you know, an expectation, we can we are a threat there as well. Yeah. And that again is where the citizen can come in and continue to celebrate and, and promote what is special about us. I think there's also probably a bit more work with that as a as a community, as a city that we could do to to encourage some bold new design. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we see a certain sameness in a lot of the construction that's happening in new construction. Um, I think sometimes people feel, oh, well, it, if we're developing in downtown, it's got to be, it's got to look heritage-y. Yeah. And, and maybe that's a good thing, but maybe what we need is actually some, some cool new stuff that kind of pushes the envelope a little bit, you know, so that we're seen not just as an old city, but as a, as a city that can embrace its heritage, but kind of move forward in terms of design. I agree. Amsterdam is a great example of that, uh, and what they've done is they've, you know, they're clearly they're on the canals and they have a certain set of, uh, you know, dimensions they have to follow. But you can, within that, construct something that's unique for each home. Um, and I think what we can do in Newfoundland, uh, certainly in St. John's, is celebrate our architects. Um, we, there's, there's a really uh, blossoming architectural community here. And I think it's about to really explode. I hope. Uh, yeah, there seem to be a lot of new young architects. Like, That's right. It's almost like they're like the old guard is kind of retiring, yeah. and there's all these new young architects, which is, is an exciting time for the city. It really is, and I think the more we can do to engage in a conversation with them, the better. There's mm-hmm. there's actually three or four architects on the Heritage Advisory Committee, uh, one of whom is actually our nexter. So she's between the ages of 19 and 35. Um, and uh, we, I like going. I've gone to two or three events that the architects have put off, and there's a number of, of young people, and they're really doing exciting things. And and, and you know that's why I always thought architects were. Um, I hadn't really met our architects because they were you know one or two generations ahead of me. But that's they're 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 very big picture visionaries uh, that are just they just put their head down and they work 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 work. But they're creating things that are really exciting, and we're starting to see that come out now because the other side of architecture in terms of 
development in in the downtown is that really to be hired by a, a company you have to have experience and have proven proven yourself so now they're you know and, and so again i mean hire an architect uh, you know i would say because uh, the more experience they get the more likely we're going to build a culture that fosters architecture and, and good design uh, and i think you know a, a pie in the sky dream that i have would be for the university here to instead of opening a law school we should be opening a, a planning school urban school development design, yeah yeah because yeah. that's really again how you can foster a certain type of culture well then we're, we're drawing to the end but maybe that's a good a good place to to ask a final question you know you, you talked about how you're mentored by shani shani's doing the work 40 years ago right. For, 40 years from now when you're mentoring the next uh, you know the next city council right. or the next person who's going to take on the next version of happy city what what kind of state would you like to see the city in what would you like what's your dream for the city in 40 years mm-hmm. no, that's I, I try and remind myself of, of what my dream is i you know i like cities in general and i read about how cities develop and, and how they, they come to be and what makes a good city. So I think for St. John's, you know, we have to right-size our growth and, and our vision for it. And if it's a place where people really continue and more so come together uh, to have fun and they they love the place they're in because it, everything flows together very well, building to building, space to space, if we can be known as one of the most beautiful cities in the world and it's because it was both intentional and natural – that that would be, I think, what what be my you know my uh, my wish, uh, and it's only going to come if we if we come together as a community and instead of yelling at one another, we uh, converse <laughs> politely and then work on what we've decided we'd like to do. Well, thank you for this conversation uh, today. Thanks for coming in and having a chat, and we'll have to get together in forty years and see how we've done. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Thanks, Dale. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm Dale Jarvis. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or you can download us on iTunes. Thanks for listening.